Welcome to the Missio Day podcast. Missio Day is a family of Jesus joining God as he makes all things new in Chicago. Check us out online at missiodaychicago.com. We are in the start of a new series that I am really, really excited about. So we're going to be diving into the Gospel of John. So we have this new series that we're calling The Word Became Flesh, Jesus According to John. And I love how Sab made this graphic because even though I used a lot of words with a title and a subtitle, she really made sure that our primary focus is on Jesus. And that's what we want to do during this new year. So because of that, we're going to be going through the entire gospel of John. Well, not all of it, but we are going to go through the entire book of John by using a reading plan throughout these next few months. And so what I'm going to ask of you guys is to take note. Now, this is my fault. We have bookmarks being printed for you to keep in your actual Bible. So every week you can remember what the reading plan is for that week. I failed to get them to the printer on time. So we have to wait one more week. So for this week, please take note. It will also be in your newsletter every week on Wednesdays. So if you don't even use a paper Bible, but rather the app, you'll be able to remember. But what we're going to do is we're going to read up through the following Sunday's story so that every week when you come in, you've been caught up and have read through what we're about to talk through on Sunday. And by doing this, we're going to make our way all the way through the Gospel of John. And I'm really excited about that. So because I am coming off of a couple of weeks break and I am in the mode where I lost my glasses already this morning and was scrambling during worship, I'm going to just pray for a second and bring myself fully to where we are right now. So God, I thank you that we are gathered again here in your name. After just even a week off, it feels so refreshing to be back in this place that is um, my worship home. Um, I thank you for everybody who's here gathered as well um, with all the senses of new year, uh, whether that's a positive or a negative thing, we bring our full selves to you now and say, Holy Spirit, we honor that you're present because we're gathered in the name of Jesus. And you've promised that when we are gathered, in that name that you are here. So we ask you to um, just ignite our hearts towards whatever you have for us. Help us to be expectant and listening. And God, we are just thankful for your word and what we might find in it as we dive into it this morning. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So a little bit about me. I've been preaching for about almost 10 years now. And for all of that time, not as regularly as I do now, but for all of that time, almost, almost every single week that I preach, I hit some point in that week where I completely face writer's block. It happened when I was in seminary too, when I'd be sitting to write a paper. I'd done all the reading. I had done all of the preparation. I had notes strewn all over my desk or on my laptop somewhere, but I was staring at that scary blank screen with no words yet on it. And I just think I have no words to bring out all of the stuff that is in my heart and my head, all of the things bubbling in there. In the case of preaching, I think part of the problem I face every week is that the story has already been written. The story is the greatest story ever, and it's been written. But my desire, my heart, is to find words every week that match or at least come close to the beauty and the power of what has already been written in this story. Not to try to rewrite the story, but to draw our hearts together 
towards the story, to respond to the story, to find our place and own our place in the story because we have a place within the story. How do I best communicate about a story that's already been told? And I can't prove it, but these last few weeks as I was sitting with the beginning of entering into the Gospel of John, I wonder, I wonder if John carried that same passion and if maybe he felt a little bit of that same feeling as he stared at a blank piece of parchment paper with eyewitness notes scribbled all around him, his own journal pages, and he thought, how do I do this? How do I start my own account of the story to capture the beauty and the power of what I've already experienced, thinking as John, beyond the narrative facts, but into the story itself? Where do I begin? Every time it comes time to craft a new series, I love that part. I'm a big idea sweeping story, right? We're going to go to John. We're going to have the whole coverage. I see the arc. I love the broad stroke planning. That's really great. And so I had a lot of fun planning this series to pick through which stories do we want to study. And so when it came to week one in my outline, I simply wrote, introduction to John. And then I went on and I thought about all the stories that I was so excited for us to dive into. So, but when I sat, right, I simply wrote introduction, no big deal. But when I sat these last few weeks with John's introduction, there's nothing simple about the way that John starts into his gospel. And I was so drawn into it these last two weeks. I'm going to read this again slowly, what Aaron already beautifully read. He's got such a good reader's voice. I don't have as good of a reader's voice, but just allow yourself to hear these. Even close your eyes if you hear better without extra stimulus, but just hear this for a minute. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. The Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. You guys, he did it. When I was reading this, I was like, John did it. He took God-sized kingdom truth from this story that he had experienced firsthand that was bubbling out of his own heart and memory and mind and experience, and he found words that not only convey it, but actually bring our gaze up to the highest heights of what God has done in and through Jesus. He found words that sort of transcend us to a bigger space than just conveying information. I will say if you read John's introduction quickly, like sometimes we do when our devotional time says, read John 1, and we're like, do, 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 and we read quickly because we're checking it off. We can sound a lot like a group of keywords mixed up in different orders and repeated a bunch of times. And that's not wrong. They are key words mixed and repeated and said different ways. But if we slow down, you guys, I would say to you that this is cosmic-sized poetry. Poetry of deep, deep theological truths. In 114, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Remember in the fall, if you were here, we did that presence series, Presence of God Matters, Tabernacle Temple. The presence, the dwelling place of God is now in Jesus among us. We have seen his glory, 
the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. I love it. I love this gospel. And I love that we're starting the new year off here together in this space. Before the stories, which I'm really excited to get into, we're going to do for the next few months, we're going to really go deeper into the beginning paragraph. But before even we do that, oh, I should mention this, all of this in your pew Bibles, page 860, 860, if you want to be looking at John 1 as we're talking. Um, Before we do that, I need to do a quick I need to, not need to, I want to, I desire to give us a quick introduction about where we are right now in the Gospel of John, because we're going to be hanging out here for a while. So let's cover some overview points. What, how, why, and who? Just some key facts about what we're doing right now. What, how, why, and who? Number one, what? Let's do a quick reminder. What even is a gospel? For some of you, this is review, but not for everybody. So let's remember, a capital G gospel is one of the first four books of the New Testament, and these are written accounts of the life and ministry of Jesus while he was historically ministering on the earth about 2,000 plus years ago. That's a gospel capital G gospel. It shares its name with the lower G gospel, which is just means good news. It's the entire story of the good news of what God has done in Christ, and that's what we call the gospel truth, the gospel message. But for those who took this story and wrote it to words, made a historical account, we call those the four gospels with a capital G. That's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those are the four people who said, we're going to take the stories, time is passing before Jesus comes again, and we would like to write them down so future generations may also know this good news. So because there are four authors giving four accounts, there are different angles, kind of like if all of us experienced, oh, say, a multi-year global pandemic, and someone said, what was that like? And we might have different accounts of some of the same historical moments, but that's because we have different perspectives. So there's beauty in that. The personality of the writers is coming through as you read different gospel accounts accounts. Our job is not to reconcile them all into one story, but to allow that there are different humans inspired by the Spirit communicating their experience or the stories that they've collected about this time of Jesus's earthly ministry. So that's what a gospel is. It's that written account, and you can find the first four in the beginning of your New Testament. In the space between the Old and the New Testaments, there's about 400 years of silence, and then the gospel accounts start. So that's where you can find those. We are in the fourth gospel called, uh, by, written after its author, John. Okay, how? That's the second. What's the gospel? Now, how does John approach his version of the gospel? And it's different, again, in all four. So very briefly, this isn't from a book. This is just from my observations. I'm just going to show you a peek in my red letter Bible of how Matthew approaches the gospel. If you don't know, a red letter Bible is the one where everything Jesus says is in red as if to highlight it. So Matthew's like, I'm going to record the words of Jesus. I'm going to give you the words of his sermon, the parables he spoke, and page after page. This is just lots and lots of red. Matthew's approach is I want to record the things that have happened. And so he does this with the most red letter, I think, of any of the other ones. Luke, right off the bat, lets us know his way of going about the gospel. He says, I want to give you an orderly account. Luke is a physician. He says, I'm going to gather these things, and I want to be orderly about what I give you. Mark, 
Mark's favorite word is immediately. Mark is the one who's just like, and then, and then, and then, immediately, and everything moves like this in Mark. It's also the shortest of the gospel accounts. But John, check John's tone as we read through his gospel. John lingers. He's a lingerer. He likes to spend long times in moments, not short parables. Those things have been taught. It's true. But John loves to focus on these longer discourses or conversations, these encounters between people. He likes to linger on them. And some of these stories, the ones that we're going to talk about, actually, some aren't even covered in the other gospels. So, that's where we're going to focus ours. But anyway, John loves to linger. And I love that these different gospel accounts allow for different personalities to come out in the writing. So let's look at the introductions quickly of all of them. Mark, Mr. Immediate, right? Not surprising. He dives right in. He starts out his gospel basically saying, the kingdom is here. Repent. Let's go. And then we're off with Mark. It's happening. That's how he goes. Luke, which we studied during uh, the season of Advent, he's like, I'm going to back it up in an orderly way to the birth, not only of Jesus, but the related miraculous birth of John. So he, in a very orderly way, backs it up a bit. Matthew's like, we're going to back it way up. 42 generations of genealogy to show where Jesus is in the historic story of the Jewish people, the faithful people of God. And John's like, I'm going to beat you in the beginning. Genesis 1, we're taking it back so much further. And we're going to begin in poetry. So this is John's how, how to share his gospel story. Poetic theology, a cosmic scale of what's going on right off the bat. Eternity past is John's starting spot. So another thing that we see in how John writes his gospel, he reinforces this cosmic view, this eternity viewpoint in several ways. While you're reading throughout the next few months, look out for some themes that John loves to use. Listen to some stark dichotomies. That's like an either or, like black or white, right? Those are dichotomies, either ors. John really likes to talk in dichotomies. You see it here, light and dark. He talks about belief and unbelief. He talks about um, above and below. And so he's, he's, he's a poet, right? He's drawing big sweeping dichotomies in his language. He also is the gospel writer who does something that's so beautiful. He catches these moments and records them with great importance when Jesus uses I am statements. Now, if you are a faithful person of God, a Jew listening to Jesus, or now us studying the ancient scriptures of the Jewish people and being written into their stories. We know that an I am, I am the bread of life. I am the way, the truth, and the light. I am. That echoes the moment when Moses, back in Exodus 3, says to Yahweh, God, who is speaking to him, says, how am I going to tell people? Why are they going to believe me? This is a paraphrase for a minute. Why are they going to believe me? Who am I supposed to say sent me? And God, Yahweh says, I am sent you. In, thir- in 3.14, Exodus 3.14, God says to Moses, I am who I am. That's his self-designation for who he is. He says, this is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. And so God says that. I am is a big deal statement, and Jesus uses it, and John is like, oh, 
I get where that's coming from. And so John likes to highlight moments like that, that emphasize the identity of Jesus, even sometimes in subtle ways. And so that's really beautiful. And John also, this is cool. We'll get back to this in a minute. John uses so many different names and titles for Jesus throughout his gospel. It's a really beautiful thing. We'll get back to that, but watch for it. If you're reading and you don't mind circling in pencil or in pen in your Bible, just circle all the names that John uses to demonstrate who he now knows that Jesus is. So how, back to the how, how does this gospel different? Clement of Alexandria, um, a theologian and Christian thinker back in like the second century, uh, famously said, the other gospel writers had written of bodily things, is how he said it, but then John, encouraged by his pupils and irresistibly moved by the spirit, wrote a spiritual gospel. Now, some of that we know, all of scripture is spirit-breathed. All of the gospels are spiritual gospels. But what I'm saying here is that even early on, the early church recognized there was a different tone in this gospel. And you know what? We get to enjoy that. Not necessarily try to reconcile it with the tone of all of the other gospel accounts, but allow John's tone to be his way of portraying to us the life and ministry of Jesus. Okay, so there's the first few. Now why? Why are we so excited about this gospel for this community at this moment of time? Because all of those things are important whenever we decide to study anything together collectively. Why? You should ask why. Okay, here's my why. My why, our why, is the same as John's why. John did us a favor. He wrote his intentional purpose statement directly into his gospel. Interestingly, Almost at the very end, after the crucifixion, after the resurrection is recorded in his gospel, all the way in John 20, starting in verse 30, John writes this. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. So first, briefly, he's recognizing my style is different. I didn't record all the same things as the other gospels. So he's saying there's so many more stories. I know that. But these the ones I chose, are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. That's his purpose. That's his purpose in writing. He tells certain stories. I know I can't tell them all. I don't have room to tell them all. I told these. He knows that. He tells certain stories because in stories, we know this, in stories we encounter, we encounter Jesus. He writes the stories in long discourses. He lingers on these encounters so that these encounters as we read them would bring us to believe believe in who we're reading about and that by believing we would actually experience real time life in his name that's his purpose so for us I feel like starting in a new year what a beautiful time to just focus our gaze on Jesus and to live into that same purpose statement right it's a new year that wasn't the calendar in the beginning. It's way more recent than that. The January 1 was a big deal. But I think that these rhythms of new years, cycles and seasons are still really important for all of just human rhythms. It's just how we're wired. So what if we choose to actually take a call like this, a purpose like John seriously, and say we want to start the new year casting our gaze together on Jesus? Just looking at these encounters, reading a gospel, 
putting ourselves into these lingering stories and encountering Jesus, we want to sit under his teachings, be open to believing what Jesus is recorded as saying, what Jesus is still saying. Because when we do that, you guys, that's abiding. We'll get to that in chapter 15, abide in me. Like that's abiding. Abiding is being with, listening to, longing for, just being with Jesus. Let's be formed by these words, by abiding in Jesus, because we believe that encounter with Christ is actually life-changing. We believe that. I believe that. And so I want to spend the new year saying, yes, that's what I want. I want abiding and I want that kind of life change so that not only would we find life after death, salvation and freedom from our sins, yes and amen, but not just that, that we could find life in his name, like John says right now in this new year. I think that sounds like a beautiful way to start a new year. Find life in his name. So wherever you are this morning, if you came to church because it was a New Year's resolution and you don't know what you think about anything to do with religion, welcome. I'm so glad you're here. If you've been walking with Jesus for decades and it's like your 18th time through the Gospel of John, yay, let's do it again. It's fresh every time. Wherever you are, I believe when I read these words of John, when I dwell in them, when I see this purpose statement that John is writing to us, to you, to all of us for this same purpose still. He was steadfast about his purpose throughout the gospel. He has the passion of a poet theologian, which is beautiful. He is clearly inspired by the Holy Spirit and John knew Jesus. John self-designated himself when writing his gospel as the disciple whom Jesus loved. I love that self-designation. Guess what? That's not a one designation. Like, it's not like one person gets to wear that. Like, there's one king or one queen. It's not like that. Anyone can say, I'm, I'm the disciple who Jesus loves. Are you? Yeah, I'm the disciple who Jesus loves. John just owns it. He's like, yeah, I'm the disciple who Jesus loved. And he, desi- he designates himself within the story. As, that's what he calls himself, not me. He's like, well, then the disciple who Jesus loved, it's so cool. I love that he knew who he was. So let's get to that for a second. Who? Now the who. Who is John? Okay, I have some bad news. Don't let it burst your bubble. We don't 100% know, okay? But just give me a minute to explain. There is a John among the 12 disciples of Jesus. Now, there were a lot of followers of Jesus called disciples. There were more than 12. But Jesus very specifically designated 12 in this special category. That's a reflection of the 12 tribes of Israel from the Old Testament. It's kind of like saying, look, that thing, I'm doing a new thing. And so it's like a reflection to show what's happening. There were more. They played a very special role in the life and the history of the church. But there were more disciples than the 12. Now, One of the 12 is John, the son of Zebedee, one of the sons of thunder, sons of thunder. Try that again. Um, The early church believed and designated that this gospel was written by that son of Zebedee. He was one of the three disciples that was with Jesus in a couple of really key moments, very, very, very close to Jesus. Later scholarship piped in and was like, we're not sure because actually this gospel refers to that John in other places. This probably is written by this other John known through other documentation as a disciple of Jesus, hung out in Ephesus, well-known figure in the early church named John the Elder. So some people say, we're thinking John the Elder. And so 
he was another known figure who was close to Jesus, followed Jesus. Either way, even though we don't 100% know, here's what we do know. He was an eyewitness. In uh, John 19, 35, he explains himself a little bit here. The man who saw it has given testimony, meaning himself. His testimony is true. He saw it. He's an eyewitness. Okay? He knows that he tells the truth and he testifies so that you may also believe. So there's that purpose again. Not just here, listen, I saw it with my own eyes and I'm telling you so that you'll believe. So there's John saying, I saw firsthand. That's what we know about this, John. And I'm still stuck on my purpose, which is so cool. So he saw and he knew, and he had uh, intimate knowledge of these long conversations. Even if it wasn't firsthand, he may have heard of it because some of these conversations on one-on-one, on one, Jesus and one other person. But he was close enough and he saw, he saw much of this. He designates himself as an eyewitness, whichever John it was. And he, John, knew he was a disciple who was loved by Jesus. There's a personal experience there. I have a handful of um, commentaries for any series like this, including now the John one. Uh, one of the commentators, her name is Marianne Mai Thompson. She says this, the gospel of John does not present the Jesus who was understood by all, but rather the Jesus to whom his disciples and above all the disciple whom he loved, John, bore witness. We have Jesus as that disciple remembered him. Jesus as all his disciples remembered him and Jesus as they bore witness to him. What does this mean? You don't need to memorize that quote at all. Here's the point. It can be frustrating not to know author details. I just acknowledge that. But for all the gospel writers, they were not the priority. That we knew the writers was not the priority. The priority was that we would know Jesus. And so here, this gospel, clearly written by someone close, whichever John you want to imagine sitting at his parchment, because I want us to be full of imagination as we're in these stories, go for it. I'm fine with whichever John you sit at that table with that parchment and that ink, okay? So whichever John is okay, here's what we want. We want to feel that sense of intimacy that John, our author, knew. We want to know that he wants us to linger in these stories. So put him in, his voice into these as someone close who knows he's beloved. And like that last line is saying, like he's just bearing witness to us. Let him bear witness to us. And I want us to linger as we go through and read these. Over break, uh, these last couple weeks, Andy and I started re-watching the Chosen series, which I recommend. I think it's really well done. Emily agrees. Um, so there are two endorsements. That's like a big deal in Jewish times when two people are witness to something. There you go. Um, okay, so The Chosen is really cool, but this is one of the things I want to say about lingering. It's not a promo for a show. It's that when we watch a show, there are things that happen in a narrative. Suddenly, the director knows to pause so you can hear rustling leaves or an awkward pause in a conversation or footsteps coming as you're kind of anticipating what that means. There's all this stuff happening that when we're reading the written word, which is so good, do it, read it, but we can lose that because we just keep moving without a time frame. And so I want us to join John, the disciple who Jesus loved, in lingering. Let yourself get in with imagination. Wait to hear the, the rustle of a crowd around you. Feel that the pressure or the heat or whatever the things are. Like just try to get into these break in conversation for where there would be natural pauses. And so we want to really honor John, 
the disciple who Jesus loved and what he's trying to do, including his lingering in these stories. Okay, so we did our who, what, how of John's gospel. Um, Now I want us to just take a minute and dwell richly, as Colossians 3.16 would say, dwell richly. Let the word of God dwell in us richly. And so... Uh, Open up your Bibles if you'd like to, to page 860 if it's a Pew Bible. If it's your Bible app or your own Bible, it's just John 1. Um, And we are going to read a little bit slowly here, and we're going to appreciate some of the whispers that we hear. And so it's also going to be up on the screen if um, you would prefer that. And so uh, this is what we've now read, Aaron read, and I read it. It's up here. And actually, Allie, if you would go to the version that has the next slide, I believe, I want you to be looking at this passage for a second and some of these highlighted words, right, as I read for us actually out of Genesis. This is John's purpose, is to start so slow, right? So, I'm going to read Genesis. You're looking at chapter 1 of John. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good and he separated the light from the darkness. Do you see that? The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. There's a dichotomy and which one is the one that cannot be overcome? The light. It's going all the way back to Genesis 1. Stay in your John um, page there and we're going to also see this. If we keep reading through Genesis, we're going to see that all things were made. uh, Just as said um, in verse 2, through him all things were made, without him nothing was made. Okay, in Genesis we hear whispers about what was made. God made a vault between the water below and the water above, and that was the sky. God made two great lights, the moon and the sun, one for the night and one for the day. And then we're thinking about also this uh, in John. In him was life, right? We see uh, Genesis 1 teeming with life as God created living creatures, first in the sea, then in the air, then on the land, and then of course humans. There was life being birthed. All of this is calling us back to Genesis 1. Now, if biblical writing is new to you, you might be like, my 11th grade teacher said that's super close to plagiarism. But in biblical writing, this is an okay thing to do. If you're new to the Bible, the Bible Project is a fantastic resource. They call these hyperlinks, like how we would have something and we can click on it and know immediately the full background of it. These would be cultural hyperlinks to people reading this when they hear these repetitive Genesis words happening here. They're hyperlinked into a cosmic eternal past story. And it's talking about eternal presence of God. And now that eternal presence is being conferred to Christ Jesus. This is who John knew. These are the hyperlinks that have us so deeply rooted that when we open up this book to this gospel account by this poet theologian, we all of a sudden are drawn all the way back to when the world was void and formless and all life came. And he's linking this encounter to that. It's so beautiful. Let's look at this first interesting designation that John uses for Jesus of Nazareth. What does he use? He doesn't use Jesus. He doesn't use Christ. He doesn't use Messiah. None of that is first. The first one is word. In the beginning, he uses word. The word was here. In Greek, that is logos, which is 
a really beautiful and fully packed word, so I'm gonna get to that in a second. By the way, if you choose, you know, how about I change that? When we all choose to go through the Gospel of John and read it together. Um, this is a great resource. I told my professor and friend, Dr. Scott McKnight, that we were going through John. By the way, he's going to come and teach us in a few weeks. Um, I told him, and he's like, oh, I'm going to drop a book in the mail to you. And so um, this is the New Testament everyday Bible study um, of John. And it's just a really great resource to go through. This is not a commentary. This is like a read-along study kind of thing. So let me read what he says about this word word that John has chosen, this word lagos, it is a loaded word um, in a beautiful way. So he says, why lagos? Greeks commonly use this term for reason, meaning, logic, and for words spoken. So this had deep, you know, with the Greeks, deep philosophers, right? So to use this word brought up all of those things. It was a word for deep reason and meaning, deeper logic, all of that. But the Old Testament, however, is John's world, even more than the Greek world. And so to him, let me see my place here. To him, what we see Okay, the word logos would evoke from scripture for an Old Testament person. It would evoke creation, God's revelation at Mount Sinai, God's wisdom as demonstrated in the Proverbs, God's will, God's law. Those are a bunch of Psalms who would show that. And the prophets sharing the word of God, declaring the word of God. So all of this is evoked. You know this moment in the early church, whether you're Jew or your Gentile, Greek speaking, this is a loaded word for you. There's so much going on, intentionally double loaded. These cultures coming together now see that Jesus is not only God's revelation, but the one who reveals God. Both of these are happening. Both of these are happening as the living speaking word, capital W, word of God. That's how we say when we see Jesus, we see God because of the depth of this beauty of this word. And now this word takes on flesh and dwells among us. And this can sort of seem like high up there in the thinking clouds or whatever, but I want us to actually think about this. All of this revelation of God's self, all of this we now get to hear in conversation that's actually been heard by people and written down. What would God say? What would God do if somebody did that to him? What would God do if he was face to face with a sinner? What would God say or do? We actually have that now written. This ultimate revelation of God. We get to see it and experience God in all of it. Over break, I had um, the opportunity to have a lovely cup of tea at worship leader Emily's house. And as we were sitting there, just all snuggled up in our like yoga wear, not doing yoga and drinking tea, um, she just asked me this question kind of super casually. She says, what, what would be like the one word you would use for Jesus? If somebody said, Jesus, Melissa, one word. And I thought for a minute and I was like, okay, first of all, I said to her, and I'm going to say to all of you, you can't hold me to this word because I'm going to need a lot more time. That's like a huge commitment. But the point is when she said it, I said, the first thing that comes to mind is participation. And I think the reason I said that in that moment is that I've been sitting in John 1 for the last two weeks at least over and over again participation this cosmic divine God since the beginning took on flesh and dwelt among us 
When we read this book, you guys, when we go through the stories, what are we gonna see? We are gonna see real life book about love and worship and adoration and obedience and abiding. And we are also gonna see real life stories of misunderstandings, horrific insults, deceit, hurt, betrayal, and abuse. We're gonna see all of that. That's participation. That's God participating in us, with us, in our reality, so that we can join into Jesus's reality, which is participation with the Father as the Son with the Holy Spirit. It's participation with us so that, just like John, we have a purpose so that we can be participating in Jesus's reality. And the beautiful thing in this too, this is uncanny. And some of the first language perhaps that went around how we got our language about a triune God, our God is three in one, right? Father, Son, Holy Spirit, three persons, one God. Really tricky stuff, can't unpack it all now. But the fact is John can sit there and say the word was with God. Jesus was with God and Jesus was God. Those two things are in one sentence, separated only by a comma. It is one continuous thought, and that's a beautiful truth, that it will then take the entire gospel to unpack. How did John come to know that amazing truth? But John knew it and experienced it firsthand as an eyewitness, as one who was loved by Jesus, and he wants to write it all down so that we can find that God and find life in his name. So, as we start into a new year, I am bravely and unabashedly calling us all to pick up our Bibles and read John together and to share what we're seeing, to seek and find. Seek me and find me. You will find, I will be found by you, says the Lord, right? Ask, seek, knock, says Jesus. So we are going to do that. We're going to go into these stories. We're going to linger with John. These passages that we give every week, how much to read, they're, they're, um, they're doable nuggets. It's not too, too much. You can also listen on your version Bible app. You can just hit the little microphone. It's not a microphone. It's a speaker. You hit the portion and it will just read it over you if you're driving and can't read. Like there's different ways. Linger in these stories. And here's what I want to say. I want us to say in the new year, one of the many things we might want to do is to just abide with Jesus in these stories and to see what might come when we find life in his name. So as we start, we're going to be in chapter one. And one of the things I want to ask you to consider doing is seeing how many different designations for Jesus of Nazareth John gives. And I'm just going to go ahead and give you the list. So now you have to go and seek and find them through the week when you're reading yourself. But look at all of these. He calls Jesus the Lagos, the word. He calls Jesus life, light, Messiah, which he defines as Christ. Sorry, I forgot to close quotes there. That's on me. The Lamb of God. God's chosen one, the king of Israel, Lord, rabbi, which means teacher, son of God and son of man. And as Scott McKnight points out, there is no one title that tells the whole story of Jesus, so we need them all. I love that. I love it's not an either or. It's a both and for all of these names. And it's like John, when he sits down to this empty parchment, is so overflowing in his mind, his knowledge, his own lived experience, plus his heart that's been so stirred and moved by abiding in Christ that they all just need to spill out so that we may believe and find life in his name. So we're going to take a minute as we transition now, as we started into John, and I didn't give you a whole lot of warning. You didn't know that you were supposed to 
read chapter one in the beginning and find all of these. And so now I just gave you this whole list and I want us to pause for a minute and guard a little space to consider where are you in this new year? Because you've just had this proposal put before you as another thing for your new year that you might start the new year in the gospel of John. Where are you? Are you a resolution person? I'm not so much a resolution person. I'm a theme. I'm a word for the year person. Sometimes I forget it by May, but then our GC usually reminds me around June and I have to like relaunch and kick it back into gear. Are you a word, a theme, a hope for the year? Do you hold a hope or a new dream, a prayer for your year ahead? Do you have habits you stop and think about? What did I do the year before? What do I want to do differently in the year ahead? Any of these are fine. Like, what's your new year rhythm? Does this season mark a season of new beginnings? In the last couple of weeks, this community has had, at least to my knowledge, one wedding and two babies. There's new beginnings in a lot of people. And so are you a new beginnings feeling? Or are you somebody where it feels so flat and regular that you would love a sense of new? and you're not feeling that at all right now. Wherever you are right now, as we start into a new year, wherever you are, I want you to ask yourself, what would it look like if Jesus met me exactly here? In that hope, in that newness, in that word for the year, in that flatness and dullness that I feel, despite everybody using this word new too much, Wherever you are, what would it look like to say, I want to be here with Jesus? And so I ask you to consider this for a few minutes as we transition. Which name for Jesus from that list might you be most longing for or most drawn to in this new year? Do you need that word? The Lagos, a word of revelation of God to freshen your belief, to freshen a sense of wonder again. I need God to be the word again to me. Do you need light? Do things feel dark and gloomy? And you need a light to a path that is in front of you that seems dim or just in general awfully dark. Jesus, I need you to be that light. Maybe you need to sense a power of a king that has power beyond your circumstances that seem to be ruling your life right now. Yes, I need that king. Maybe you need the wisdom of a rabbi. You are longing for something new and you need a sage, a teacher. How about God as rabbi? There's a sage teacher. Maybe you need and long to experience that thin veil between heaven and earth that happens when you think of a son of God being son of man. If you sit and ponder that, I've been pondering that one. There is such a thin veil that in one, one person, Jesus, we find a son of God and a son of man. I long for more places in my life where the veil is that thin between the earthly and the divine. Which name do you crave wherever you sit in this start of a new year? And I want us to just allow ourselves to spend time to think that maybe, just maybe, John's purpose could really help us to find that in lingering encounters with the Messiah, the Word, the Son of God, the Son of Man, the light that overcomes the darkness. Maybe, just maybe, there could be a way that this investment of time could be worth so much as you head into a fresh start this year. I've been talking a lot about Jesus 
And it's most important that we talk with Jesus. Not that you come into these doors and know someone's going to talk at you about the light, but that you might talk with the light, the rabbi, the king, the lamb. And so what I want to do is just give us a little bit of space here. I'm going to pray over us and give us space. But I want you honestly to consider what might it look like for me to just take a minute and think, I can talk with this light. John did. He says everyone can. I believe him. And so how about we just talk with for a minute? And I'm, I'm going to just, I'm going to do that over us. And then you guys do that in whichever way you need to. So I'll, I'm just going to, I'm going to demonstrate and hopefully it makes sense. Um, Jesus, these are a lot of names for you. And um, right now in this morning, somehow I need one that's not on that board. I need Jesus of Nazareth to be um, real and gritty and um, not have it all together and still be with me and love me and I need that light I long for that light uh, the winter can feel gray here and I long to glow um, from a radiance that comes from encountering you towards the world around me Jesus, I pray that as we sit in this space, there could be a buffer of time where we could feel just freedom. I think that's my word over this space right now is a freedom, a freedom to speak, to feel, to hope, a freedom to hope that there could be more of you that leads to clarity for us, our delight. Jesus, we love you and long for more, whether we came in here knowing we were longing for more or maybe we want to decide by faith that there is more um, stir our hearts to find you and to seek you and to know that you long long to be found by us thank you Jesus that truth alone um, warms my heart and stirs my hope so I pray God that you would give us space both individually and within community to find um, our hope stirred in you for your purposes, um, not only in our own lives, for the lives of those around us. Jesus, have your way with this series. Have your way with our learning. Have your way in this community that through us, in us, and with us, you would be made much of every day. Amen. Thanks for tuning in. We love to keep the conversation going. Find a weekly gathering or gospel community in a neighborhood near you. To find out more, check us out online at missiodechicago.com.